All right, good morning once again. Welcome, so good to see all of you. For those of you joining us online, welcome as well. As Pastor Nick mentioned, uh, today's going to be a little different uh, of a sermon. Uh, as many of you know, uh, I was blessed by all of you uh, with a 14-week sabbatical uh, from Christmas through uh, the end of March, and, and I wanted to take uh, this morning to, uh, to share uh, some of the things that I did, some of the things that I learned, some of the things that God uh, began to and continues to uh, challenge me with. And my obvious hope and prayer is that uh, you would find it pertinent and relevant uh, to your life as well, uh, for us as a church, as, as one uh, body. And the way I want to do that is uh, focusing in on one passage um, and to kind of examine a passage that I believe best kind of sums up and communicates uh, what God has been placing on, on my heart. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us to Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 38 to 42, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, story of Martha and Mary. So beginning with verse 38. Luke writes, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So I titled this sermon, Be Still, and technically Be Still comes from Psalm 46, not Luke chapter 10, but that's the only graphic I could find that communicates what I want to talk about, so that's why it's Be Still. That's not me, just to be clear in that picture. Um, but Luke tells us that Jesus and his disciples, as they're traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, and what we know is that there's a lot of others that were with them, at least 72 other messengers, but they're tra as they're traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, they decide to stop at a village and to rest and stay at the home of a woman named Martha. Jesus, his disciples, we don't know how many others, they presumably enter Martha's home, presumably spread out, sit down to, to rest and relax. Immediately, Mary, who's Martha's sister, she kind of runs over, sits at Jesus' feet, and just kind of locks in on everything Jesus is saying, everything he's, he's doing leaving all of the hosting responsibilities to Martha to do all by herself. So Martha, she's presumably you know, preparing the food, setting the table, getting the beds ready, begins to feel a little overwhelmed, a little stressed, sees her sister Mary just sitting there doing nothing, so she lashes out at Jesus. Now, I know this was written 2,000-some years ago, and a lot of things have changed then, since then. But have you ever been so overwhelmed, so busy, so stressed, that you actually took it out on someone else? Right? Some of you are like, yeah, this morning. Right? 
So this is what Martha does, right? She lashes out at Jesus. And she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus' response, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Jesus' response to Martha feeling frustrated that she's doing all the work by herself is, come be like your sister Mary. Right? Martha is trying to get Jesus to make Mary be like her, yet Jesus is inviting Martha to be more like Mary. So, you know, as a, as a pastor going on a three-month sabbatical, this was kind of one of my obvious goals, right, to, to slow down to step away from the busyness, to be less like Martha and more like, more like Mary. And what I learned early on, and this is really profound, very powerful, so take your pens out, but it's really hard to be like Mary. And I know what some of you are thinking, like this guy, three-month vacation, he's complaining that it's hard. Right? Not what I'm saying. It's, it, was, it was great to slow down. It was restful, it was relaxing, it was a lot of fun. I'm so grateful for that time. But there is a difference between slowing down and being still. And in order to, to understand this, and we're going to dive more into it, we kind of have to ask the question, well, what were some of the things that made Martha, Martha? Right. And what were some of the obstacles that Martha would have had to overcome in order to be like Mary? What were the things that were preventing her from being like Mary? Right? For, so for one, there were the, the worldly expectations that were placed on someone like Martha. Cultural values, societal pressures, what other people expected of her, what they expected from her, family members, friends, neighbors, the community, the village, religion, Jesus, the disciples. What were those expectations that, that she had as, as a woman, as a host to these guests? Now, in first century Middle Eastern culture, hospitality and generosity were high values. There were extremely high standards in what one was expected to do when it came to hosting a guest, a traveler, a foreigner, whether it be a family member, a friend, or even a complete stranger. Right today, if you were to walk into a restaurant and you were to be seated by a host or a hostess and then for about the next 20 minutes be completely ignored, right, you'd begin to feel a little bothered, a little upset. Right? One star yell, never coming back here again. Right? Why? Because we have expectations of how a paying customer should be treated at a restaurant. Well, in the first century, you didn't have to be a paying customer, you just had to be a guest whether you're a complete stranger, whether a family member, of how a host was supposed to, to treat you. They were to put, treat you with the highest honor, the highest dignity. I just recently came across an article uh, titled, What to Expect When It Comes to Arab Hospitality. And this is for today, right? The, the culture remains the same. This is what to expect with Arab hospitality. One, as a guest, you will always come first. Two, 
Your host will never stop feeding you. Every dinner is magnificent. Every meal is huge. They care about your preferences. Your comfort is their biggest concern. Entertainment is important. You become part of the family. Right? These are some of the values in Arab culture today. And this was true more so first century of how a host was to treat a guest. So, so one of the obstacles that Martha would obviously have to overcome to be like Mary is all of the worldly expectations and pressures that are being placed on her. Secondly, it's safe to say that Martha had her own expectations for the kind of person she wanted to be. Right? Her dreams, her desires, her vision of who she wanted to be, who she wanted to become. Now, we don't know a lot about Martha, but it's safe to say that she was quite successful in her own right. The fact that she owns her own home, that is big enough to host Jesus and his disciples, perhaps even more, she has the resources to provide for this event. She seems to be the caretaker of her sister Mary, her brother Lazarus, who's not mentioned in this passage. And we don't know how she attained all this, but the fact that she has it, that she's running the show, the fact that she's doing all this in a male-dominated society all on her own is, is quite the feat. Martha seems to, to be the person who, who understood how the world worked and made her way up. She had goals and she accomplished those goals. She was probably the kind of person that had some kind of drive, some kind of ambition, some kind of determination, who spent her entire life making sure she would never be like a Mary. And yet, Jesus is inviting her to be more like Mary. Now, you can just imagine Martha in this moment considering Jesus' invitation. And maybe she begins to just run through the hypothetical scenario right? and think to herself, like, okay, uh, Jesus, if I were to just stop doing what I'm doing and, and sit down like my sister Mary, like, how would we eat? What would we eat? Who would prepare the food? How would you be replenished? Uh, where, would, where would you all sleep? What would your disciples and your followers think? And when word gets out, and word always gets out, what would, what would my neighbors think? What would the village think? What would the community think? What would it do to, to my reputation? What would it do to my family's reputation? What would it do to the family business? What could it possibly do to, to finances? Would I still be able to provide, put food on the table, care for Mary and, and Lazarus? What kind of person would, would I become? Would someone still want to, to marry someone like me? And you can imagine Martha just running through this scenario. Right? To, to be a bad host was to be a, a bad person a bad human being, 
And it would bring shame not only upon her, but on her entire family, her community, her, her village. Yet Jesus' words, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed, only one. You see, what Jesus is inviting Martha into, he's not simply inviting Martha to sit down and stop serving, to stop working, to be less busy. He is inviting Martha to sit down and stop worrying about all of those things. He's not saying it's bad to think about such things, right? Those are things that a good Martha would think about. But he's saying, stop worrying about those things. Let go of those things. And you see, Jesus isn't inviting Martha to simply slow down. He's inviting her to surrender. To surrender her fears, surrender her worries, to surrender her dreams, her desires, her, her sense of control over her livelihood, her well-being. And this is one of the things that God began to bring to the surface for me over these past a few months. And one of the things that stood out immediately, what became obvious, what made this obvious to me was that, you know, there would be days where I'd, you know, kind of set aside, I'd drop the kids off at school, and I'd have six hours to just to, to relax, to rest, to, to go be with the Lord. And I'd feel anxious, though. And I'd still feel a little bit stressed. And like, why am I stressed? Why am I feeling anxious? And what God began to, to highlight was that even though I was slowing down, even though I was resting, there was a, still a lot of things that I felt needed to be done. There were still a lot of things I felt like I, I should do, that I ought to do, things that I wanted to do. Right? There were books I wanted to read, topics I wanted to learn, people I wanted to meet up with, churches I wanted to visit. Right? There were things I, projects at the house, chores that needed to be done places I wanted to take the kids. There were you know, recipes I wanted to experiment with, exercises to implement, diets to, to try, financial decisions to be made, ministry decisions to discern. And then there was always this lingering thought, right? Like when I get back from sabbatical, April 24th, I'm going to need something to show for this, right? When people are like, what would you do all three months? And I would literally be counting down like 12 weeks, 11 weeks, 10 weeks. And what God began to point out was that the reason I worried about a lot of these things is because I, I worry a lot about what people think. I worry a lot about what my peers think, what friends think, what family members think. I care a lot about what all of you think, the staff thinks, what, what the board thinks. In addition, I care a lot about what I think about myself. Right? I have expectations for myself, a vision of the kind of person I want to be, I want to become, a vision of the life that I want to live, the kind of future that I want to attain. And God is inviting me to, to surrender those things, to let go of, of those things. Because what he was showing me is that even though it was easy to slow down, there were a lot of things that I hadn't yet surrendered. I hadn't let go of. And his invitation, like the invitation to Martha, is this invitation to, to sit down 
to stop worrying, to simply be with him and to let go of those fears, let go of those worries, let go of my own goals, my own dreams, my own desires, let go of the fear of what people think. And this is the kind of faith that Jesus is inviting us into. Right? And it's a kind of faith that we see in Mary. Right? Because Mary, for whatever reason, right, all of the worldly expectations, all of the societal pressures and cultural values, what it meant to be a good host, what it meant to be a good human being, she just kind of tosses that out the window. In addition, she... She sits at Jesus' feet, which was a, a, a seat that was oftentimes reserved for a teacher's best students, students who were handpicked, students who were chosen, students who were personally accepted. And by Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, what she's in essence communicating is, I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care what my neighbors think. I don't care what the disciples think. I don't care what my nagging sister thinks. I only care about what Jesus thinks. I only care about what he says, what he's doing, how he's moving, how he's leading. And I'm just as worthy as anyone to sit at Jesus' feet. Now, this is a process in and of itself, coming to believe that we are good enough to sit at Jesus' feet. That we don't have to fix ourselves, better ourselves, improve ourselves, but that because what Jesus has done for us, because of the grace, because of the forgiveness, we are just as good as anyone to sit at the feet of Jesus, to receive his love, to receive his, his favor, his blessing. And you see, Mary believes all this. And it's not arrogance, it's not pride, it's simply, it's faith. Right? We see this audacity in Mary's faith, in being able to surrender all those things over to Jesus Right, we also see the sincerity in Mary, the sincerity in her devotion to Jesus. Right? She's just mesmerized by Jesus, locked in on what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing, what he wants, what he teaches, what he instructs. It reminds me of last week, for those of you who were here for the baptism and got to watch uh, the baptism video and those who got baptized to, to share. And, uh, and everyone had powerful things to say of how God was, was moving in them. And one of the cool things in that video was the, the, the younger kids, right? Because you could see the sincerity, not that there wasn't sincerity in, in you guys, I'm looking at you, you know. But in the younger ones, right? One of the questions that the Pastor Brian asked was, what do you like about church? And their answer, I love to learn about Jesus. I just, I don't like, why else are any of you here? <laughs> like, I love to learn about Jesus. That's why, you know, they're here. And there's just a sincerity of what they desire, what they enjoy. And we see this in Mary. Just, I just want to focus it on Jesus. It's not that she's being lazy. It doesn't mean she doesn't care about other people, but she just is focused in on Jesus. And this is the invitation for all of us. Can we slow down? which is important, which is helpful. Can we slow down and be still before the Lord? Can we let go of our fears, our worries, our dreams, our expectations? 
And for a lot of us, this is, is hard. This is difficult. Right? Most of you didn't get to where you are today by, by being passive, by being lazy. Right? There's drive, there's ambition, there was determination. You had goals, a vision for yourself, and you accomplished those goals. So the idea of just letting those go, surrendering those over to Jesus, that, that's a hard thing. I remember talking to someone a while back, and this was a long time ago, and he was kind of frustrated with, with church. And, and he, says, he said to me, you know, if all you guys, referring to us as pastors, he says, if all you guys just keep talking about trust Jesus, trust Jesus, trust Jesus, trust Jesus, if that's all you say, if that's all you teach, then our young people are going to hear that, our kids are going to hear that, and they're not going to be motivated to try hard in school. They're not going to be motivated to get good grades. They're not going to be motivated to get into a good college. They're not going to be motivated to get a good job. They're not going to be motivated to, to attain financial stability and to live a comfortable life. And it begs the question, is he right? Is he right? Like, if our kids, if our young people were to revolve their entire life on Jesus, if their only concern, their only burden in this life was to focus in on Jesus and to dwell on what Jesus says and what Jesus does and how Jesus moves and how Jesus leads, would they get better grades? Could they get worse grades? Would they be better at sports? Or would they be worse at sports? Would they be motivated to go to the best colleges? Would they be motivated to, to get good jobs? Would they be motivated to make sound financial decisions? Would they be motivated to attain a comfortable life? What about for us, right? regardless of how old we are? If we revolved our entire life on who Jesus is and what he said and what he's done and what he's saying and what he's doing and how he's leading, how he's moving, would that help us? Would it help us relationally with believers and unbelievers? Would that help us professionally? Would we do better in our careers, better in our jobs? Would it help us financially? What kind of people would we become? And you see, Jesus' response to all those questions, all those what ifs, is Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, oh, indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, what Jesus basically says is there's no guarantees when we choose to surrender everything to him. The only guarantee is we'll always have him. That he'll always be with us. That we'll always be with him. And, he says, that our lives will be better. Probably not better in the eyes of the world, but better in light of eternity. Right? We look at Jesus' disciples. Their lives did not get better in the eyes of the world. But yes, it got better in light of 
eternity. You see, this is what Jesus is inviting us into. It's what I felt him challenging me with, continues to challenge me with, what he's inviting us into. Can you let go of all those things, sit at my feet, and simply trust me? Can we, like Mary, take on the posture, sitting at his feet, the posture of not only a student to a teacher, not only a pupil to a rabbi, but a disciple to our Lord, a disciple to our Savior, a disciple to our King. And the reason this matters so, so much is because at the end of the day, we as a church, we as the church, part of the body of Christ here on earth, this is, in essence, what we are called to do, to make disciples. This is our purpose. This is why we exist, to, to make disciples, to be disciples. All right, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, after he finally gets his disciples to meet him in Galilee, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? This is why we exist as a church, to make disciples. What's God's plan for your life? Something to do with making disciples. Each and every one of us is called, created, empowered to play a vital, significant role in the making of disciples. How each one of us does that, what that looks like, that's the mystery, that's the discovery, that's the adventure. But how it begins is each and every one of us coming to sit at the feet of Jesus, letting go of our worries, letting go of our fears, even our dreams and our desires and our goals and ambitions, and entrusting those to him. So as we close our time this morning, we're going to have a short time of reflection and then a time of worship. And as we move into this time of reflection, I want us to envision ourselves. Considering this invitation of being like Mary, of not only slowing down, but of, of being still at the feet of Jesus, letting go of the things that we are perhaps still holding on to. And if there are things that we are still holding on to, things that are hard to surrender, may God reveal those things. And may we consider that, that invitation that he extends to us to come and be still, to be with him, to enjoy him, to surrender our lives to him. Will you pray with me?